Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 144 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Oh, yeah. Uh oh. (laughs) And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. Yeah, welcome to the To Read List After Dark, a late night recording where there are no bookmarks, no rules. I thought you were doing the Kool-Aid man. (laughs) No, I just have a deep voice. Pedro, this is what we have to deal with. This is past 10 p.m., Andrew. He uh, kind of metamorphoses. I'm basically like a gremlin, except after 10 p.m., I turn into a late night smooth voice DJ. Ooh. Do you have sound effects of all? Or that's just morning DJs. I'm so sorry. I'm not one of those crass shock jocks. I'm here to talk about books and lull you off to dreamland. Do you accept requests, like long-distance dedications? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Delilah. <laughs> hey there, Delilah. <laughs> no, like Delilah, the famous DJ. No, 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 no. <laughs> the thing that I said that didn't make sense. Not like the problematic song written about a woman who didn't like the lead singer of the Plain White Tees. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, look into that. I feel like you just told me the whole story. <laughs> no, it's even more than that. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, sorry, guys. I Caffeine hit, I'm back, I'm ready, and I'm normal for the rest of the episode. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay, I great. Kind of, I was kind of looking forward to Night Circus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> DJ the night oh, the, oh, he's coming back. No, I'm just kidding. I'll be fine. <laughs> the Night Circus does actually sound like a late night romance show. It kind of does, it does yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have a little bit of shame. Oh. We're just going right into it. We're just going right into Boom. it. Here's the, here's what I've discovered. I'm trying to do more things with Maggie, the the child, the baby, hmm. because we're about to. Mm, yes, Maggie, the child, heard of her. Yes, mm-hmm. we're about to travel to Maine across the country for Maggie's first birthday, and so she can like meet the grandparents, see the grandparents. Mm-hmm. But we realize like she hasn't even like been to a grocery store, and so that's gonna <laughs> be like quite the shock. So I've started doing more things with her, and one mm-hmm. of them is going to the local bookstore, which is like oh, four blocks away. Interesting. But every time I go, I feel like I have to get something. And I go you multiple so times do per not. week. <laughs> you do not. Bailey, it does seem like you could go to a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. You could go to a clothing store. You could just go for a walk in the park. But mm-hmm. she likes to walk around and she she likes to look at the books. And sometimes she'll see a book that she likes and get really excited. Is this, wait, we're talking about Maggie? Yes, the okay. child. Not, ba- not Bailey the adult? Well, I mean, All both. Right. <laughs> she's gotten really into books lately, but like she's obsessed with this one author who wrote uh, John Classen. He wrote this book, I Want My Hat Back. Perhaps I, you're I familiar. Just, I just have to step in and say, I feel like you can't, the phrase, she's getting obsessed with this author. She can't, <laughs> no, she cannot she take does. steps. No, but like, okay, so today Dylan and I took her to Barnes and Noble. Sorry, independent bookstores, because we heard that there was Yikes. a big selection and mm. there was a display for John Clausen. And she, what did she do, Dylan? She did freak out. Although she freaked out about a lot of stuff. She yeah, point- I was going to say, it's more like, it's not like she's a fan of the author. She's a fan of like these arrangement of colors. No, she's. <laughs> She saw the bear and she pointed to the bear on the front and made a noise like cuckoo. To be fair, that bear is very cool. Yeah, it does. And sometimes I'm reading her the book and she turns back to the bear and is like, no, I want to see this bear. And I don't know if you know this book. It's very, it's a recent classic. It's it's definitely like Pulitzer Prize, Prize winning. It has a really good moral center. Yeah. yeah it's got into a lot of trouble because uh, animals kill each other in it, but it's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, the rabbit deserved it. Let's be real. <laughs> Spoiler alert for those who <laughs> haven't read I Want My Hat Back. Somebody, one listener was like on page two. <laughs> the book, like while they're like listening to us. So first we had I want my hat back. Then we got. Is that the one where the rabbit dies in it? Yes. <laughs> then we got. We found a hat, which was also what? a slapper. What do Grizzly? you say? It slapped. It slapped. 
a slapper. <laughs> and then welcome, Jen. <laughs> Jen and Zoom. Last week we got this is not my hat, which is about an unrepentant criminal who stole somebody's hat. <laughs> anybody anybody die in that one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. I'm into it. So while I was there, I got three books, and it's not a big deal. Uh, the books were The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. It's John Green's new book. Okay. I got Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Did you just buy it because her name is Maggie? Oh, <gasps> I didn't even think about that. Okay. No, it, it, it was, um, I think it's about Shakespeare or something, but it's a new buzzy book, but now just came out in paperback. Had to get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and then I got another Lee Bardugo book. Which one? King of Scars. Mm. So now I have all but one. So, you know, countdown. Dang. So anyway, that's my shame. <laughs> also, if you're, you've been on our Instagram lately, you'll see that I have finally organized the bookshelf at the new place. We got a lot of comments. People want to know how I organized it. Yeah, what's the guiding principle? Well, Toby, you're looking at it right now. What do you think? Hmm. Uh, chaos, disorder, <laughs> uh, sloppy, sloppy living, I think is, is really what I see. I really wanted to do it by color. We did that in another place. Um, but the thing is, Lee Bardugo, or a person who lived here before, the shelves are all different sizes. It's chaos here. So, like, look at that tiny shelf, Toby. What are you going to put That's on that tiny true. shelf? Knickknacks and dreams. Yeah, so what Bailey's describing, it's true. It's like the the vertical height of all the shelves are not aligned really at all. It's so actually, look at that giant shelf. Yeah, it's actually kind of chaotic. I can see how that would be very stressful. Luckily, you have books of all different sizes. Yes, so I ended up organizing them basically by size. So I have one section that's like movie books because those are the biggest books big and, boys and then i have a shelf it's just a tiny shelf so it's basically the books that can fit on this shelf such as like a french dictionary and mm. nine stories by salinger and the girl with the dragon tattoo yeah. but then i have like a plays section comics graphic novels poetry short stories more movies um and then the to read list and then books that we've read the to read list takes up a solid i would say like 30 percent yeah it's fun to look at it all in one in one place. But do you want to know my favorite part about the shelves? No, I think we can move on. My favorite part is that there's one shelf that has a lot of empty space on it, so I can get more books. Oh, yes, oh, I see this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, when Bailey says a lot of empty books, it's like maybe 10 books of empty space. Yeah, well, I mean. So, like, next week, <laughs> it'll be full. Yeah, so that that's how I organize the shelf. Normally, it would probably be by color or by um, author, but... Yeah, this place is—it's chaos. It's, it's chaos. absolute chaos in here. Um, R.I.P. Eric Carl. Yeah, no transition there needed. Um, no, nope. but yes, <laughs> no idea who this is. What? Regardless of whether or not he's a household name to you, I remember very fondly reading um, *Very Hungry Caterpillar* as a as a child and seeing those uh, that unique style of art everywhere in like bookstores and things. And pour one out for old Eric. It was a big part of a lot of people's childhood. He seemed like a sweet guy. I have um, two other quick book news things. Number one, listener keeping up with the penguins online sent us this hot book tip, which is the Book It program, which was you would read books and then get a personal pan pizza at Pizza Hut. Part of many of our childhoods Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's back but it's only for children oh i mean is that a surprise yes but i read so many more books than children and i can eat so much more pizza (laughs) (laughs) we're selling um book it t-shirts throwback editions but they were sold out immediately and Mm. i even went to the site and it was like sign up for updates i was like how dare you so but thank you for the hot book tip 
Last thing, this is Toby sent this. Toby, do you remember when you sent us an article about John Steinbeck? Oh, yeah. Do you want to share the news? Uh, yeah. Steinbeck's uh, publisher, Estate, who was the one who came out and said it? Basically, the news that was released this week, I'm sure some of you have seen it, is that John Steinbeck wrote an early novel featuring a werewolf, like a mystery werewolf novel. It's called Murder at Full Moon. Yes. And the news this week is like perhaps the most frustrating kind of news. <laughs> and the news is, hey, this novel exists. We will never publish it. Yeah, no, the news is scholars are like, publish it, you cowards. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, the estate's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, release the werewolf cut. Yeah, I mean, that's the news is that it was an early novel. He struggled uh, famously for a while to get published and and he worked very hard at writing. And yeah, apparently this exists. And apparently I read the article and he destroyed a lot of his early work, Uh, but he didn't destroy this one. So that's one of the arguments that people are like, scholars or whatever, are like, well, if he really didn't want it published, he would have burned it like the other ones. He wanted it to be published, but it was mm-hmm. rejected. So, like, he wanted it to be published. Yeah. What are the next, like, tr- uh, Twilight trilogy? It's like from the mind of John Steinbeck. <laughs> from the twisted <laughs> mind. <laughs> anyway, I would love to read that. I mean, what's the title again? Murder at Full Moon. Big Wolf Dog Man. <laughs> Wolf, whoa. Wolves of Wrath. All right. Well, this week on the podcast, Andrew read a book at random from his shelf. Andrew. What book did you read? I read The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. The Night Circus. Circus, circus, circus. Ah, La Cirque du Rêve. The Circus of Dreams. The Cirque du French. How'd you like it? I know we hyped it up for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, let's get into it here now, shall we? Mm-hmm. All right. So here's a little uh, little teaser summary sort of paragraph. It's not a log line. Don't worry about it. In Aaron Morgenstern's richly imagined novel, a circus that is far from ordinary is the fighting ground for an age-old competition that pits magicians, intentional or not, against each other to prove their skill. The contestants, Celia and Marco, join a cast of characters of varying levels of mysteriousness as they attempt to not only win, but find meaning in their magic and in their lives. Yeah. Very nice. But what's the little boy's name? The little boy's name is Bailey. That's correct. I particularly enjoyed the phrase, various levels of mysteriousness, which very very much applies to this book, as I remember it. To give a little, a tiny bit more context about the book, it takes place majority in like the late 1800s, turn of the century um, time frame, so pre sort of technology um and the 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 main setting is this is this magical circus where everything is black and white and it only is open at night and everything that's detailed are these like fantastical things that to the people who come there seem like the most wonderful things in the world but don't necessarily seem magical but then you learn underpinning all this the things that like you would leave a theater saying oh what a magical experience actually is a magical experience Wink, wink. Wink, wink. Because there's some magic uh, going on at the circus. <laughs> yeah, during the night. And to give a little more context about sort of the uh, the, the central conflict of it, basically, um, this isn't any spoiler thing. This is like literally the setup of the novel. From very early childhood, these these two children are approached by different mentors of, of varying closeness and strangeness to them and set into this thing that's just called a challenge, um, a competition. And they don't really know anything about it except that they're in it and that they're going to study their whole life and try to win it. And the, the the ground at which it's it, it's competed is this magical circus. And that's really all you need to know, because I don't really want to give you more than that, because honestly, I think a lot of folks have a lot of fun reading this book if they haven't already. So I want you all to discover more about it yourselves. I'm having an interesting thing where I read this one, I don't know, in like 2014-ish, but I read it yeah. really quickly, like in a fever dream, and I like just really loved it, but I didn't really remember even what it's about. And as you're describing it, I'm like, oh yeah, I really like this book. Yeah, I, I read it probably around the same time. 
So, yeah, I, I was curious to hear what y'all's experience of it was, because I know I noticed that on Goodreads, all of you had marked it as red and, and not to tip your hat or hand at all, but y'all rated it at least pretty high, if not five stars around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so feel free to, to chime in as I go through my pros and cons. And, and yeah. if you remember anything about your reading experience, let me know, because I'm curious to hear what, what y'all thought. Okay. So yeah, some of the, the pros of this book, um, the, the elves, if you will, just the imagination level, the imagination quotient uh, is in this book is just kind of outstanding. It's uh, every element of the circus is so intricate and beautifully created. And like you feel like you're walking into these magical places. Basically, there are a lot of like your standard circus exhibitions like turn to 11. And then there are also like there's a, an entire garden made of ice and all these things that are described in such beautiful detail that you just feel like you're there and it feels very um, like escapist in a really mm-hmm. great way, especially even though we are, you know, things are starting to open it up. It's a really great read during this pandemic time because it felt truly like your brain's going on a journey. Mm, I remember that. I remember feeling that way. I just remember thinking I didn't want it to end, that I loved just the world and I wanted to be in the world forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the world was so well created that it really could have sustained for a long time. Hard agree on that. And while the, like, the writing isn't super or like hyper poetic or anything, there's like a simplicity with which Morgan Stern details the magical that makes it kind of feel more real or like more tangible to an audience. Uh, it's 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 quite the treat. <laughs> so instead of giving you a, a quote from like the middle of the book or anything, I'm going to give you the first one and a half paragraphs of the, of the book. The night circus. <laughs> <laughs> the circus. It's at night. Welcome. <laughs> no, it's not that. Uh, this is like from the, from the preface, which is uh, entitled Anticipation. Here we go. The circus arrives without warning. No announcements precede it. No paper notices on downtown posts and billboards. No mentions or advertisements in local newspapers. It is simply there when yesterday it was not. The towering tents are striped in white and black. No golds and crimsons to be seen. No color at all, save for the neighboring trees and the grass of the surrounding fields. Black and white stripes on gray skies. Countless tents of varying shapes and sizes, with an elaborate wrought iron fence encasing them in a colorless world. Even what little ground is visible from the outside is black or white, painted or powdered, or treated with some other circus trick. But it is not open for business, not just yet. Dun, dun, dun. Because it's like not Cause, the night. Because it's the day. Because <laughs> yeah, it's only open at night, everyone. That's a, get ready for that. But yeah, so that's a sort of an example of it. Like the language isn't trying to be fancier than it is. It's just describing things that are, you know, fancy and magical very plainly. And, and that was really effective for me. Yeah, I remember, I think, I don't know how I was 100% convinced I was going to read the book. And then I think I opened it up and it's like, how do you not read the book after that intro? Yeah. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. A few other elves to throw into the mix. Um, Get those elves in the mix. Yeah, I'm going to get some elves in the mix here. Once I was grounded in what was going on, it became like a, uh, I couldn't put the book down sort of situation. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a, a ramping up to it where you, it's sort of like pleasant and you, you can read and just sort of explore it for a while. But I really got that like, you know, something I can only put akin to like reading when you're young, where I was just like, I got to I got to keep going. I got to find out what happens. Mm-hmm. And I really, I did have that experience in the second half of this book. You spent a lot of time in the first half of the book sort of like, oh, there's a competition. Well, don't worry about it. And then the second half of the book is like, oh no, we're, here, we're there now. <laughs> oh no, worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing, and I know this is something that uh, our dear our dear friend Toby thinks about a lot, um, but the system of magic isn't like super detailed and like you don't learn the rules of how magic really works, but it's simple enough in conceit that I was never bothered with how it worked. Basically, they're like, you learn that there are two schools of magic, one that's like, you can study it and one that's like, you have the natural talent and that's pretty much all you need to know and mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about it. And so it, it I think, sidestepped a lot of um, pitfalls it could have had. And I mean, honestly, my biggest elf is 
was that it was just fun. It was a fun book. It was a fun book to read. All right. Nice. Which is great. I don't have a lot of orcs on this. We need orcs in the mix. Well, I'm going to throw some orcs in the mix, but I, but these are minor orcs. Get like some clubbing orcs in there. They're like, they're up in the mix. They've got like a, like a tank top on. One's got like a man bun. Yeah. He's in the mix. Let me get him in there. So... The book relied maybe a little bit too much on the reader to map out timing, which isn't necessarily mm. like a criticism, but it is why it took me a while to sort of get that sort of investment in in the stakes of things. Because basically each chapter has a time and a location attached to it. And I basically was sort of only half tracking those. And then I realized halfway through the book that it was actually really helpful to track those in terms of figuring out what was going on. Mm. But it was really easy to forget that. And you didn't get a lot of other signals about that. It's not really a criticism. It's more just I was a dumb reader. But hey, dumb readers read books too. <laughs> uh, and then the only other orc I really have is I just kind of wonder if the book is a little thin. Like are all of the questions that come up in the course of the book investigated as fully or as far as they could be? No. Are, are, are some <laughs> things maybe solved a little bit easily? Yeah. But is it still just at the, at the end of the day really fun? Yeah. So I like toyed with rating it four stars because I was like, this doesn't feel like, you know, a really serious book. <laughs> um, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to read books that make me happy. I'm here to read books that, it, or if they don't make me happy, they they capture my attention. And, and this book did that. So I'm giving it five stars. It'll stay on the shelf. I'm going to try to get Jillian to read it. It's a fun book. Hey, read it if you haven't. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel yeah. like any book that you get to, I don't want to put it down, has to be a five star, in my opinion. Interesting. There are different ideas for, for how folks are how folks rate things. But to me, life's too short to die stars if I had a good time reading it. I don't know. That's fair. Yeah, fair. Awesome. Well, I remember giving it five stars as well. You did. Toby gave it four and I actually don't have Dylan's rating. I think he gave five stars. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Five stars for Night Circus. Nice. It's the nice circus. You can't come in if you're mean. Get out, meanie. (laughs) Do you have any nice facts on Aaron Morgenstern? Yes, I do. So, Aaron Morgenstern was born July 8th, 1978. And she's an American multimedia artist and author of two fantasy novels. The Night Circus uh, was published in 2011, and it's now translated into more than a dozen languages, and it won the Locus Award for Best First Novel. And she also published recently, was it last year? Maybe last year or two years ago, maybe? Uh, The Starless Sea. Have you read that one? It's on the to-read list. Okay. Oh, someone has a signed copy of that given to her by her brother. Oh, okay. (laughs) She was raised in Marshfield, Massachusetts, and studied theater and studio art at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, graduating in 2000. Andrew, are you going to say it, or am I going to say it? My mommy went to Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Our mom went to Smith. But they wouldn't have overlapped. So, in addition to writing, uh, Morgan Stern paints mostly in acrylics, including her work on the Phantom Wise Tarot deck. Ooh. Now, you know I had to find out more about that. Yeah. Uh, So I went on her website, and this is directly from her website. It's her kind of writing directly to the reader. This is her voice. As some of you may know, during 2006 to 2009, I painted a 78-card tarot deck in black and white and shades of gray. I did not know that. As some of you may know, Dylan (laughs) Macron Wells. Uh, I spent the same approximate time writing and rewriting The Night Circus. I lived in monochrome for a good long while there, and there are references to the circus in some of the cards. Uh, all of the paintings can be viewed on phantomwise.com. Cool. So if you want to check out this tarot, if you're interested in tarot and you want to check out a deck that ties in some in some way to the night circus, you can do that. Phantom like a ghost? Phantom like a ghost. Cool, cool. Hey, hey guess what? The, there's a there's a black, white, and gray tarot deck in, in the night circus. <gasps> oh. Phantom like a toll booth? Mm-hmm. Wise like a wise you do that. Phantom like a superhero named Phantom? Mm-hmm. Phantom like the thread? 
<laughs> why is like near the end of the alphabet? Phantom like a menace? Uh, yeah, why is like um, Sam Wisecamgy? Shut up. Let's go. Um, she, this is back to her general information away from her website. She signed with Inkwell Management in May 2010 after being rejected by 30 literary agents and sold her debut novel to Doubleday in September 2010. It was then published in 2011. Um, she has participated in National Novel Writing Month since 2003 and first wrote about what would become the Night Circus in November 2005. Morgan Stern has since moved to New York City. Okay. Yeah. This is an, uh, one of many m- mentions of NaNoWriMo on mm-hmm. our on our podcast so far. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk more about it. This is from her own website again, and this is the kind of FAQ page, which I actually found pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So she, this is apparently a question that she got so many times that she wanted to put it on her website. And the question is, did the Night Circus really start as a National Novel Writing Month project? And she writes this answer, which is, yes, it did indeed. The short version is that NaNoWriMo is an online-based challenge to write 50,000 words in 30 days. I tried for the first time in 2003 and failed, but succeeded in 2004 and in 2005 I started a project that I got bored with and sent the characters to the circus and that circus was immediately more interesting than anything else. I spent the next two years of nano writing exploring that imaginary circus. It went through a great many changes between that double nano draft and the finished version. An example, that entire 100k worth of original circus stuff, Celia isn't in it. Seriously. Celia is the central character in the book. <laughs> I love the idea of being so stuck. You're like, all right, send him to the circus. <laughs> like, yeah. Imagine like, you know, like Samwise Gamgee at the circus or like... There might have been J.R.R. Tolkien where it's like, uh, these guys are just like sitting around this Hobbiton like for so long. You know, I thought true. Hobbiton was so cool when I first thought of it, but now it's pretty boring. <laughs> let's, send them, let's send them to somewhere ridiculous. What's a stupid name for a place? Mount Dew. <laughs> um, so another question. Are there particular books that influenced the Night Circus. And Morgan Stern writes, The circus had a lot of influences. Some of the stronger particular ones were Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clarke. What, what? What, what? And The Prestige by Christopher Priest, as well as the film version of the same. The vignette format of the book was inspired by Einstein's Dreams by Alan Lightman, one of my favorite books of all time. That's a good book. I've never even heard of it. It's like a philosophy book. Yeah. Hmm. I'll check it out. In general flavor sense, there's a heavy dose of Shakespeare and Dickens with a sprinkling of rolled doll around the edges and an Gorey aperitif. Ooh. Mm. Love Ed Gorey. Um, and here are a few um, questions and answers from an interview with Jillian Quint at bookpage.com. Jillian asks... Did you have the full parameters of the circus in your mind before you began, or did you discover as you went? And Aaron answers, I began with the idea of endless looping tents with a bonfire at the center, and I explored it as I went along. I didn't have a map at all as far as what the circus was and how the world worked when I started writing. There was a lot of revising and trial and error involved before I discovered all its secrets, if I even know all of them. Sometimes I think there are things in the circus that remain mysteries, even to me. Ooh. All right. And here's the last interesting question. Frederick Thiessen, the circus's reigning expert and academic is an interesting character. What was it like to be charged with the rather postmodern task of writing about a person who studies your own fictional creation? Aaron answers, I suppose it was easier since I sometimes forget that I had created the circus. It seemed more like something that I discovered in my subconscious and excavated rather than something I built. Gerard Thiessen is very dear to my heart and I think I understood him immediately, who he is and what the circus means to him, why he feels compelled to capture something of it in prose. He's the person along with Bailey who sees the circus from the outside when so many other characters characters are unable to have that perspective. So to me, it was the point of view that the circus was meant to be viewed from. It is his eyes that see the sum of the parts, his words that reflect the circus back on itself. I suppose it is a bit postmodern, but given the nature of the circus as a performing space, the audience plays an important role, and Frederick is the beating heart of that audience. And Bailey is the more beating heart. (laughs) Well, excellent facts, Toby. Good job. Thank you. 
Uh, Bailey, I heard uh, you had a circus of your own. And by that, I mean you read a book. What was that? <laughs> well, I Isn't mean... Isn't every book a circus? I read two books. So does that make it a big top circus? I don't know. It's a double decker. <laughs> double decker. Double decker circus. You know those famous double decker circuses. So, as we discussed in the last episode, I really wanted to go on a Lee Bardugo journey, a Lee Bardugo bacchanal, because <laughs> as I explained, we are living in the apartment where she used to live. That sounds creepy, but it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So, Lee Bardugo on a journey. That's correct. So, and I had already started Ninth House, so I thought might as well finish that one. And I also had to read the one that was already on the to read list, which was Shadow and Bone. So, I finished Ninth House. Ninth House is for adults, whereas the the Shadow and Bone is part of the Grishaverse, which is her um, many book spanning YA series. This is an old adult novel. Old adult, not mm-hmm. young adult. Mm-hmm. And Dylan really liked that one. He liked his own joke. <laughs> he looked at me and smiled. Yeah. Uh, and Ninth House takes place at Yale, Yale University. Andrew, do you want to say it or should I? My daddy went to Yale. <laughs> Is this like a terrible family tradition? I guess so. Well, now it is. Um, uh, So anyway, so it takes place at Yale, um, where you probably know that there are secret societies. You might have heard of Skull and Bones from the film The Skulls. Excellent film. Yes, with Joshua Jackson. Is that his name? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Dawson's Creek. Paul Walker, maybe, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I saw that movie. Uh, So Yale has secret societies. This book is about, there are eight old secret societies, and it's about the ninth house, which is the society that has to police the other societies. Because in this book, in this world, those secret societies have magic, and they're up to creepy things, like necromancy, and like, I don't know what, there's all these words for it, but like, you know, taking out people's entrails and predicting the stock market. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. I call that a Tuesday. (laughs) The main character is Alex Stern. She's kind of a fish out of water. She's like sort of a tattooed, comes from a very rough, traumatic background um, and was rescued and brought to Yale to be a part of the Ninth House because she can see ghosts. That's part of it. That's all part of it. So that's that's the plot. Here's my quick review. I had a weird experience, which is kind of the opposite of Andrew for Night Circus, which is that I was really into this book from the beginning, got really into it. And then like 75% in, I kind of was less into it. Mm. Because basically there's one character, Darlington, um, who's a member of the society who's um, teaching Alex, the main character. And I really liked him and I was really interested in his story. And he kind of fizzles out towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes more of a by the numbers solving a mystery type thing. And that wasn't as interesting to me as, as the other stuff. So, however, this is the first in a series and the next series promises to have more Darlington. So we shall see. Mm. So anyway, so what I thought was going to be five stars out of the park, really creepy vibes, really cool world. I love secret society stuff. Love it. Ended up being four stars, but still enjoyed it. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah. I think I had uh, a very similar experience. I think it's it's hard to get into my criticism without because that's spoiling. Yeah, spoiling. Yeah. But I'll just say I gave it four stars. Yeah. Pretty much the same as you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so four stars for Ninth House, but I really would recommend reading it if if the premise appeals to you. Also, before I moved on to Shadow and Bone, I just have to tell you a sad Bailey anecdote. I love these. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I went to a college where there were secret societies. Oh, no. I know this. I know this sad family anecdote. Yeah. Have I shared it on the podcast no, before? No, 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 Okay. No, you haven't, but I would love for you to. <laughs> we all know it. I just want you to relive your pain. Uh, okay. So, you know, imagine that you're a senior in college and you're living your life and you have all the, your friends and whatever, whatever, and you're talking to your friends and you assume that nobody's in a secret society because you're not in a secret society. And then cut to graduation day and they all have canes with weird things on them because they're all in secret societies and you weren't in one. Oh, the emotion in that crack in your voice is unfakeable. I know. It was it was like, wait, you and you and you? Wait, uh, what? Uh, oh, I mean, if you think of it a certain way, it's like you were in a society of your own. In the most <laughs> exclusive society of all, of one member. Uh, hey, Zuckerberg wasn't in a secret society. Wow, Dylan, you said something even more hurtful than I did. <laughs> I did have a sad conversation with one of my friends where I was like, if I was in one, I would tell you. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Maybe, and, see, you know what, though? I, when you told me this story, you told me they recruit you. Yeah. Someone saw on your face. They're like, that's the face of somebody who would tell someone else if they were in a secret society, if they were good enough friends Ooh, with them. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it is, it's creepy and weird, and there's tombs and all this stuff. So Yeah. So you wanted it real bad. I, I mean, I wanted it real yeah. bad. Okay. Now, shadow and bone. Shadow and bone. Transition. Yes. Shadows. Bones. <laughs> <laughs> rattle, rattle, rattle. All right, so Shadow and Bone is Lee Bardugo's first book, or at least like the beginning of the Grishaverse. I believe it's her first published book, yes. Okay, cool. Quick plot. It's it's essentially one of those um, chosen one YA fantasies where mm-hmm. our main character, Alina Sartoff, um, she lives in this fantasy world that's basically Russia, or it's based on Russia. Um, and in this world, um, their magic is real, um, and the people that wield it are called Grishas, and they have different, you know, there's like fire magic and water magic and mm-hmm. they necro- call it the small science yes exactly and Good kill- name. killing magic and <laughs> other magic healing magic sure make healing. Up, ma- makeup magic makeup magic making clothes magic mm-hmm. making metal work magic <laughs> And making sweet music magic is another (laughs) So there's all this magic, and our main character thinks she doesn't have any power. But guess what? It's revealed she has the most power of all, chosen one. Yeah. And it's also kind of a love triangle between her and her best friend. And the Darkling, who is this really powerful, he's like second only to the king, head of the Grisha's, handsome... Stranger. Uh, I would say hot. I would say hot, too. Yeah. I haven't read this book, but I'm going to say super hot. Yeah. So hot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that's what it is. Um, it's weird because my review is very similar to Andrew's. I love the world. Um, mm. This is one of the few books where, you know, there's a map in the beginning, and I went back to reference the map because I was like, <laughs> oh, where are they in the world? Do you guys like it when there's a map in a book? I am the rare fantasy enthusiast who could not care about maps. Mm. I feel like a lot. That's a very rare opinion. Most people are like, well, where is the camp again? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll just I'll just imagine it. What about you, Andrew? I like it sometimes. I Here's the thing. It needs to be a good map because mm-hmm. I was I remember a, a few books I've read just have maps that don't really make sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Like they're traveling across this world and it's like, nah, you couldn't make it. <laughs> um, so if you <laughs> if you make the map good, I'm into it. If you make it bad, you're lost. I want I want I want an edition of the Lord of the Rings with Andrew's review. Nah, you couldn't make it. Nah. <laughs> so look at, look at how short the legs are. The hobbits. <laughs> nah, no nobody walks into Mordor. <laughs> 
So normally I just brush past these maps, but I was looking at this one, which is in the front and you know, it's like the land and the sea and in the middle, the unsea. And there's all these like- That's land. No, there's all these mysterious, well, there's the true sea and the unsea. Mm -hmm. And in the unsea, there's like these creepy, they look like the alien from aliens with like wings. Mm -hmm. Um, They're called the Vulcra. Mm-hmm. And so uh, immediately I'm intrigued. What is this unsee? What are these creatures? <laughs> um, so the whole world, I was really into it. I thought it was really smart. The Grishas, you know, we've seen it before, but I thought it was well done. And I got really into it and I couldn't put it down. And I read it really quickly. Oh, oh I also really love the characters. I love yeah. the main character. I love the Darkling as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much all the characters. I liked, um, what's what about her name? What about Genya? The, her friend? Or Mal? Mal, He's yeah. okay. He's yeah, not my favorite. He's, he's not my favorite either, yeah. It's kind of like in the Hunger Games yep. when you're like, you know, she's should end up with PETA, but like, mm. Yeah, he's a bit, yeah. Mm. But he's so good at frosting K. I know. <laughs> he's a little bit of white bread. Yeah, and uh, Mal in this one is good at tracking. So, I mean, yeah. woo woo. <laughs> Does he have the power of the darkness? No. Uh, so all of that I liked. I thought it was well-written and engaging. And, you know, although it's been, it feels familiar, I feel like this is like, how do you say it? Like, what did you call it, Toby? The bog standard. The bog standard. <laughs> this but is that's like, a negative term. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. What's the what's the good term the for gold like, standard. the gold standard? There we go. For like a chosen one YA fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's like, it has all the beats that you expect, but it does it really well. And so I gave it five stars. Ooh. You know what? I can give my review in very quickly 100% agree really like it is I gave it five stars as well and I had the same exact reaction like is this a chosen one story that we know pretty well is it a love triangle that's very standard in YA 100% but it's just done like there's a reason that those are tropes yeah because when you do it right it's an engaging story it's great so yeah I especially I read this on on audiobook um, while I was like doing work I was like working all day uh-huh. and it was like the perfect thing like it really kept me going and uh-huh. it was just I don't know I really sometimes I read things on audiobook and I just have a really lovely synthesis between what I'm doing and what the book is and mm-hmm. it kind of binds my memory to that yeah. book yeah. and so like now I'll always remember like I was working on the camper for the whole day when I was uh, oh that's great yeah. and you said you're going to read the next one but you're going to take a little break yeah I, I think I jumped into the next one a little bit too fast and that's why I can never do back to back of the same author so mm-hmm. yeah. I, 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 I am very excited to go into the next one but I'm going to pace myself yeah I would say out of the three that I've read Ninth House um, Shadow and Bone and and Six of Crows that's actually the best one Oh, Shadow and Bone was? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Is it true that you should not read Six of Crows before the other ones because it will spoil? Yes, I think so, because I believe that in this Grishaverse, mm-hmm. um, the events of Six of Crows happen after all of the events. Uh, okay. And Six of Crows is basically Ocean's Eleven in the Grishaverse. It's oh, a okay. heist. It's oh, a heist cool. story. It's very cool. Uh-huh. But what it is, it's a very, it's a much smaller story. Like this is the classic chosen one story where like the stakes are the whole world. Mm-hmm. And like, so the world is changed at the end of this series in a way that is apparent in Six of Crows. Got it. So that's why you shouldn't read Six of Crows first. Got it. If you want to read these. And my understanding is that King of Scars, which is the next part in the Grishaverse, is even further in the future. Exactly, so yeah. start with Shadow and Bone. Which is not a bad task because it's a real fun that's book. That's great. All yeah. right. Five stars. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you like this book, but did you bring any facts to the table? Yeah, fact is, it's good. <laughs> uh, yes. So, Lee Bardugo is an Israeli-American young adult and fantasy author. She is best known for her Grishaverse novels, which include the Six of Crows duology, the Grisha trilogy, beginning with Shadow and Bone, and the King of Scars series. She was born in Jerusalem, Israel, and grew up in Los Angeles, California, where she was raised by her grandparents. She attended Yale University. Ah. 
My daddy went to Yale. <laughs> there we go. I was waiting for it. Graduating with a degree in English in the spring of 1997, she was a member of the Wolf's Head Secret Society. Oh, I would have guessed, based on reading Ninth House, I knew that she was in one. I would have guessed she was in Book and Snake, probably because the book had a snake on the cover. Boop. <laughs> Before publishing her first novel, she worked in copywriting and journalism, as well as makeup and special effects. Cool. Her debut novel, Shadow and Bone, um, was published in 2012 by Macmillan. Shadow and Bone was nominated for the Romantic Times Book Award and the South Carolina Children's Book Award, named an Indie Next List book and reviewed in the New York Times. The other books in the trilogy, Siege and Storm and Ruin and Rise, were also published by Macmillan, respectively. I um, I thought it was older. I'm impressed by how many books she's written. She's written a book a year since her debut. Wow. And they're yeah. not small. They're like 350, been, 400 yeah. pages. Oh. Uh, Bardugo defines the shadow and bone genre as czar punk, a fantasy with inspiration from early 19th century Russia. She also, I also want to mention, um, there is a book, and I don't know if it's available outside of Audible, actually. It might be an Audible exclusive called The Language of Thorns, which is a collection of Grisha fairy tales and folk tales. And that was published in 2017. And I actually have read that one as well. Oh. And actually, that might be my favorite thing she's written. No way. It's really, really good. And you can read it like standalone, I'm sure. Yes. It cool. has nothing to do with the plot of any of the main books, except it's in the same world. Cool. She also wrote the first book in the DC Icon series, which are novelizations of DC Comics' biggest superheroes. Her Wonder Woman, Warbringer, was published by Penguin Random House in 2017. Cool. So she is extremely prolific. Um, the rest of this is a transcript from an interview with adlit.com. Uh, Bardugo says, I grew up with my grandparents. My mom, after she had me, went back to school. So I was really raised by my grandfather. And he was sort of an interesting combination of high culture and low culture. He was a brawler from Boston who his nose had been broken so many times that you could actually push it flat because there was no bone left in it. But I think he was the biggest influence on me because he was a big reader and because he wanted me to read. He read poetry, he read novels, and some of his tastes were very old school, a lot of Kipling and Saroyan. But I think it really impressed on me the power of language and how much I wanted to be writing stories. And whenever I would come home from school, he would say to me, tell me some lies. And I would make up stories for him. Oh, I love that. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little Grisha lies. <laughs> um, this is a question about uh, the, the interviewer asked her about world building. And Bardugo says, I think that when people think about world building, they tend to think of it only in terms of fantasy and science fiction. And I think that's really a mistake. When we read, whether it's nonfiction or memoir or thriller or mystery, we're always looking for a sense of place. We're trying to understand where we are and how power works in the world. And for me, the best reads, no matter what I'm reading, are the ones where the place is a character as well. So I find that when I'm working, I begin with a sense of power, how power functions in the world. And that's really what I know in that first draft, whether it's magical power or the personal power that exists between two people in a room or an environment. Ooh, cool. There's a microcosm and a macrocosm and trying to figure out how that works in my world. And only then do I begin to build the texture of the world and the language, the flavor, the smell. I've never heard that before. That's a really interesting way of approaching it. Yeah, I really like that. Those things also cross over when you think about economics. That's both of these things. When I was writing my first book, Shadow and Bone, my, main, my two main characters, Alina and Mal, originally had parents because they didn't want to fall into the fantasy trope of orphans. But then in the process of doing my research, I came across these stories of Russian noblemen who had gone to war when Napoleon invaded, and for the first time they were forced to actually be in contact with their serfs, to sit with them during their long nights of siege, and to fight beside them. And there is a story, it is a real story of a nobleman who was given a Russian icon, a religious icon, that he put in his jacket and stopped a bullet. Mm. So he went home, he converted his home into, I think it was an orphanage or a home for war widows. And these men had returned from war, they had a very different view of the people who had essentially been viewed as property. So they started schools, they started hospitals, some of them 
them freed their serfs. It was a huge shift in the Russian mindset. And I was so inspired by this that I went back and I did, in fact, make Mal and Alina orphans. And I put them in a place called Karamzin and created the character of Duke Karamzov, who was one of these men who had gone to war and had this shift in perspective. Cool. Yeah. And the last little note I have here um, is a comment from her about writing uh, about disabilities. I think it's extraordinary to create books that are both mirrors and windows for kids. And I've seen this play out time and time again. I'm lucky enough to see it in my own work. I have a disability. I have a degenerative bone disease. I deal with chronic pain. And I didn't actually realize when I was writing Kaz Brecker that I was writing my own experience into the book. Now Kaz gets his injury by falling off the roof of a bank during a heist, which is not how I came by mine. Now she's referring to her lead character in uh, Six of Crows, who's like the leader of the whole gang and he has a cane. he walks with a cane okay but i didn't realize until i was done with that first draft which just goes to show how self-involved writers are that i was really writing the kind of strength i wanted to see in him in me and i can honestly say that writing cast has given me a different kind of swagger when i'm out with my cane and when i'm in a public space for the first time with it it is still difficult for me sometimes to contend with having a visible disability but then i will see kids in my lines who have canes who have walkers who are going to high school every day carrying this with them every day and i feel like we're our own little army now oh yeah but does she say if she'll be my friend? Uh, I will not be Bailey's friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Lee Bardugo. Excellent facts, Toby. Good job. Thank you. That is Ninth House by Lee Bardugo, four stars. Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo, five stars. Mm-hmm. I feel like that Drake meme. No, not that, but that. <laughs> yes. no, they're both great. Uh, Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. I do. Y'all want to play? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So the way this game is going to work is very simple. The name of the game is Where in the World Is This Mysterious Place Slash Occurrence? (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. I love it. Quite the rhythm. So the way this is going to work, I was inspired by the sort of uh, the nature of the the circus in the night circus, how it, it moves around everywhere, and then purposely didn't look up a lot about Shadow and Bone, but I learned a little bit about the unsee, and I was like, that seems mysterious. Mm-hmm. So combination mm-hmm. of those two things is where in the world is this mysterious place slash occurrence. <laughs> Love it. So here's how the game will work. I'm going to give you a example of a place or an event or something that is hopefully known to you guys, and you can buzz in by saying saying mystery, then tell me where that is located. How specific? It is never more specific than a city, um, but sometimes it's just a country. Sometimes it's a state in the United States. For example, if it was said, this isn't a mysterious location, but if I said Empire State Building, you would buzz in and say Philadelphia, New York City, New York City, New York. But if I said something like the Amazon rainforest, you could say Brazil, and I would accept that. I'm going to be pretty flexible with my scoring here. Okay. Yeah, it does go into multiple countries, Toby, but I'm trying to make an example. <laughs> I just want the I just want people to know that I know it's in multiple countries. I get that, Toby. So the way the mechanics of the game will work, I will say the location and you are free to buzz in. There are no turns in this game. However, there is one punishment for getting the question wrong, which is that if you get a, if you buzz in and get the question wrong, the next one, the other person automatically gets first crack at it. Okay. Got it. All right. Y'all ready? Yes. Some of these are, are quite easy. Some of these are quite hard. We will see where we land. Let's do it. I'm not afraid. Here we go. Number one. Where in the world is the Winchester Mystery House? Uh, mystery. mystery. Hmm. I think Toby completed the phrase mystery first. Does he have to say the city? Uh, it's in California. Where? What city is it in, Toby? Oh, come on. San Jose? That is correct. San Jose, California. Yes. I, that was a guess. <laughs> Y'all, y'all have all been there, right? Yeah. I have not. Oh, I've driven what? by many billboards. It's cool. The super weird part about it is it's just like next to a mall. I <laughs> thought it was going to be like on a desolate stretch of highway, that, but it's just next to a mall. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's weird. Anyway, it is in San Jose, California. Congratulations, Toby. Thank you. All right. The board is still open for the next answer. Toby's up one nil, but there's plenty of time uh, to catch up. There's no mystery about who's winning this game. (laughs) Where in the world was the Tunguska event? I don't know what that is. Mystery. Russia? Yeah, Russia is correct. That's, that's, I'm gonna, it, it spanned a lot of Siberia, so I'll give you Russia. What Toby's is that? up to nothing. I don't remember. It's an event in the early 1900s that people, th- no one is sure of the exact cause of it. People think maybe a meteorite or something hit. Big explosion, lots of trees flattened. No explanation for it, really. Dragon. <laughs> uh, so, Toby, you're up to nothing. Bailey, you're going to have to get quick on these, on, these, uh, on these mystery calls. Okay, I'm just getting caught up in this theme song. I tried to pick ones that fit the, the cadence of it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Number three, where in the world is La Sagrada Familia? Mystery. Yes, Bailey? Barcelona. I see. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> it is in Barcelona. Um, that's a little bit mysterious because it's still under construction and there's some you know, stuff about Gaudi when it was going on. That's not very mysterious. I mean, it looks weird. I mean, it's been being built for like a million years. That's just, it's hard to build. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Whoa. All right. Well, ta- take this up with Atlas Obscura and by extension, Jonathan Zephyr for his brother or whatever. Got it. Got it. <laughs> this is the first one that I'm not sure either of you will get, but we'll see. Okay. Where in the world is the house of Nicholas Flamel? Mystery. Bailey. Hogwarts. Just kidding. England? That is incorrect. Toby, do you have another answer? I mean, I'll, get, I'll give it a shot because why not? Italy. France? Uh, Incorrect. It is in Paris, France. I knew it was a European country. Yeah. Well, um, so Bailey, unfortunately, this does mean because you you buzzed it and got it incorrect. uh, Toby gets first shot at this next one, but it's another hard one. So you might get a shot at it as well. Okay. Okay. Where in the world is the Devil's Bridge? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm so glad I get first shot at this one. Uh, Mystery, Alaska. That is incorrect. Mystery, Alaska. Good joke. First of all. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, But incorrect. Bailey, do you have a guess? Venice? No. That's the Bridge of Size, I believe. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, the Devil's Bridge is in Germany, specifically Kromlau. Um, but it's that it's the one you've seen that's like really thin and makes a perfect circle I with its reflection. I know exactly what on... you're talking about. Yes. Mm. All right. So it's still two to one. Um, Toby, because you were forced to buzz in, you do not get the penalty for the next one. So Thank the board you. is open again. Okay. This one you might get, depending on, you know, what movies you've seen recently or something. Where in the world is the Giant's Causeway? Uh, mystery. Toby. Ireland. Can you be a little more specific, not with city, but with region? Oh, no. <laughs> I know Mystery. It's in, I know it's in Ireland. Bailey? Northern Ireland? The answer is Northern Ireland. It's closest to a town called Bushmills. Um, I'm going to give, uh, Toby, I'm going to give you a half point. Bailey, I'm not going to actually give you a point for that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that works. That works. All right. 2.5 uh, to one here. <laughs> you guys are not doing great. <laughs> But you're also not doing it bad. You're just doing. I've gotten almost. I've gotten almost everyone right. Mm. All right, but where in the <laughs> world are the Nazca lines? Um, mystery. Toby. I know they're in South America. You're gonna need to be more specific. Yeah, I'm gonna say Colombia. Bailey, I will give you a point if you guess this correctly. Um, Argentina, Patagonia. Incorrect. It is Peru. <sighs> Oh, all right, Bailey. So it comes down to this. Okay. You're going to need to get this correct. Okay. If Toby gets this one, he will be too far out in the lead for you. Okay. Where in the world is Roanoke Island? Oh, me, me, mystery. Bailey? Virginia. Toby, do you have an answer? What? Oh, Roanoke. Okay, I thought you had it. Um, What? Well, it's got to be on the coast. Is it off the coast of New York? 
No, unfortunately it's not. However, Bailey, you're thinking of Jamestown, which was the next colony. Roanoke uh, is in modern day North Carolina. Oh, that is a creepy thing though. Yeah, very creepy. Yeah, it is. All right, so unfortunately Hello. for you, Bailey, but very fortunately for our friend Toby, yes. that makes you the winner. Yes. Oh, mystery. <laughs> All right, well, you crushed me, Toby. You know what the Good mystery work. is? What? Why you're so bad at that game. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, right, well, let's throw it on over to Dylan. Dylan, it is your time to shine. It is the time when you pick books at random from our shelves that we will read next. It is The, the Choosening. The Choosening. Andrew, if you're idiot, you can insert uh, the Ken Burns music here. My dearest Andrew. Yep. <laughs> My dearest Andrew. <laughs> what have you picked? It's been months or years since I've been forced to live upstairs. That's because ever since I was chose number 17, Confederates in the Attic, Dispatches from the Unfinished Civil War by Tony Horowitz. <laughs> I, I like that, Dylan. Good yeah, job. That's pretty good. I was waiting for you to finish because I was so in, in, enraptured with your tail there, there Dylan. <laughs> your dearest Dylan. <laughs> I'm really excited about this book. Uh, it looks really, really interesting. Uh, I'm excited to get a little more nonfiction in my life, too. Mm. So I'm excited. Cool. Confederates in the attic. And speaking of places in the house. Okay, okay. Okay. Billy. Ooh, you hear that? Yes. Why? <laughs> it's wind coming through that door over there. It's number 139. A Wind in the Door. Number two oh. in the Wrinkle in Time series oh. by Madeline Liangle. This is going to be interesting because yeah, I when, read Wrinkle in you... Time when I was a child. Yeah. And now this is the sequel that I had on my shelf since I was a child and mm-hmm. I never read. So I feel like a lot of kids read the first one and didn't and feel like they like... needed to go on to the second one. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, I mean, okay, cool. We'll see how it goes. Wind in the Door. Good title. I, I have a cool copy, too, that's like very like 90s. Hmm. So that'll be good for the gram. I mean, nice. is it a good title, though? Because like A Wrinkle in Time is such a great title of like, oh, what does it mean? A wind in the door. It's like, oh, no, that's a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm excited for that. So that means in two weeks on the podcast, the next episode, Toby has Out of Sight by Elmore Leonard, and I have A Wind in the Door by Madeline Liangle. Two very similar books. <laughs> exactly the same. Uh, thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List podcast. And if you like what you heard and your podcatcher of choice uh, allows you to leave ratings and reviews, we would really appreciate it. It, it does seem silly, but it, it, it helps us uh, expand our reach. And if you find yourself kind of at a loss, you were supposed to be studying for this contest that you've been fated your whole life to kind of participate in and you're there at the time and you're like, Ugh, I'm not ready. You could kind of distract them and say, hey, I have a podcast we should all listen to. You could recommend the podcast to a friend. That's what I'm getting to recommend this podcast to your friend or your lifetime combatant comp- competitor or the Grisha you know yeah too all right thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me to Dylan for sound recording and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song see you in two weeks happy reading books books books, books. books. <laughs>